Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 6 of The Resistance, titled The Children from Tahar. Now, we're recording this right after our previous episode, so no new announcements just yet. So, Tom, why don't you tell us about the episode rundown? Sure. This one, as Stephen said, it's Resistance, Season 1, Episode 6. Children of Tahar. This was written by Paul Giacopo and directed by Saul Ruiz. And in this one, Kaz searches for two missing children for a sizable reward only to discover that the First Order is also hunting for them. This is fascinating because, as we mentioned in the last episode, how that kind of moved the story forward. This is another episode that also moves the story forward when it comes to the actual first order. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much what's happening on the platform because of, you know, power supplies, but this is an actual backstory of something that happened in the first order that concerns these kids and it just definitely moves the pendulum forward probably about what would you say another 5, 10, 20 feet or more? I'm not it's, sure what the unit of measurement there. would be, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. No, no, well, no I totally. Had to, I had to put some kind uh, of Honestly, the, the synopsis yeah. initially seemed kind of like oh, okay i mean maybe um but i really liked this episode like i was yeah. i was very pleasantly surprised uh well it, I, I think you mentioned um in, in the previous episode that when it comes to some of these synopsis it kind of doesn't delve into what the actual story is it's kind of like a you know let, let's just give you a one sentence thing and let's get into the story and throw you a little bit of a curveball and for me, that's what this one did. I wouldn't say a big curveball, but there was just a, a little bit, a little bit of something extra in this episode that goes and explains why there was a sizable reward for these kids. I I definitely definitely agree, and kind of the um, the the underlying uh, you know main theme in this episode is a lack of money, uh, especially for. Uh, for for Kaz, he's broke. Mm. He's not a good mechanic. He's not making much money. Um, as we see, he he's, can, he's not a good spy and ain't, ain't getting paid for. I it. mean, he's really not good at anything except flying yeah. when he has a good ship. But he doesn't even have that. Oh, because yeah, he doesn't have happened. the money. I don't know. And the one time he flew a ship, he crashed. So I mean, to be fair, the ship crashed it. because it broke. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> but like, I, I know what you're saying. But uh, poor kid, I'm he not, doesn't even have enough money for to buy a glass of water. Like he gets half a glass of water and then has to have, you know, Niku buy him the rest of the water. Hey, but that's what friends are for. <laughs> yeah. By the way, what type of cantina is this where they don't serve you water for free? I mean, come on. That's true. Okay. Uh, especially because okay, wasn't minute, uh, Aunt Z talking in the last episode about how much she loves them because they always come in and just drink water. She's like, order something. And now I think that's why she started charging them because they don't ever buy anything else. I think okay, that's what really I also have on. to throw this out there. If you watch fanboys. They got charged for water in that movie too. <laughs> it's true. I'm just saying. Yeah, but uh, but but Nick, but you know, Kaz's situation gets much worse when Tam and Niku are installing an acceleration compensator, and Kaz offers to help, and of course they don't trust him, so 
rightly and rightly so. So they tell him no. Tully really need a third hand. And so Kaz does come and help and promptly turns it the wrong way. Okay, now this is the interesting thing. Breaking the... He has... It, he, it, okay, when when Tam says, turn left, okay, you would think that that Kaz would sit there and go, wait a minute, is it left this way My left or is to it your left, left this yeah. way? Yeah. Because yeah, no. he just does it and breaks he, it. Of course he does. And he cracks yeah. the, the, the case, destroying the acceleration compensator when he doesn't have any money. He offers to buy a new one, but of course he doesn't have any money, and they're also rare. Um, so, and heavy. And which heavy. I found very surprising for what it was. It was pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's not in a good spot at no. all. Um, he's and, a guy who's down on his luck at this point. Yeah. And that is what sets it, the rest of the story into motion. Um, I, I have to wonder about. Kaz's judgment a little bit. I don't know. Like, I know he's naive and doesn't always think things through, but I mean, deciding you want to become a bounty hunter and capture two runaway children for 20,000 credits so you can kind of, so he's, he can actually have some money in the bank and maybe buy, uh, you know, pay Tam back. Um, but, but from his perspective, did you really think that he was thinking he was a bounty hunter or just a good Samaritan doing a good deed for the reward? Well, and that's why I'm saying even if it was a good Samaritan, I don't. How many yeah, people have a bounty a, a on their head? Right now. It would be yeah. like, hey, these kids are are lost. We need, you know, find them and we'll give you a reward. This was like billed as bounty for two young children. That never sounds good. Good. <laughs> good point. No, you've got a good uh, point on that aspect. Very good. But uh, the way I interpreted it originally or I expect the way you would interpret it is uh, it's not that they were it was a bounty for them. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's about, you know, finding two lost children, their parents are very worried, you know. High-ranking first order kids, what do you expect, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he didn't quite think it through. And and even um uh and, and even Captain Doza tells him as much later. Um mm-hmm. but you know, they decide that uh, what could go wrong. Well, the Famous other thing was and start searching. And, and you platform. have to, you have to say in defense of Niku, Niku does even sit there and say it's like odds of finding the kids on the platform are like akin to winning the lottery twice. Right, which is exactly why they run directly into Kaz and Niku, knocking them down on the platform. So convenient. <laughs> so convenient. Uh, uh, on the plus side, I mean, the market wouldn't make sense. That is the place to go, um, if if you're hungry or or, mm-hmm. or, or want really anything. That, that that outdoor market is is a pretty good one. Uh, but we get the the Ugnot vendor from the last episode, um, who is uh, in the middle of turning away creepy old Garma. Um, Ugh, that was creepy. Who uh, mm-hmm. I ha- I should know. We pu- we previously called a guy two episodes ago. Sorry, Garma. Uh, I know you're even though you're voiced by Greg Proops, she's a lady. So uh, our mistake. Um, but uh, yeah, um, the Ugna spots them kicking off the chase. They run into Kazaniku, BBA. Convenient. And hilarity ensues. Just kidding. Yeah, I, I feel like all yeah. of that's basically the setup to yeah. the the real the meat of the episode uh, which is okay now now Kaz knows they're on the they're on the colossus and 
they can be found and that we actually start to get we start to see more of the of the ship we get to which, which this part was actually pretty cool for me when they were going into the engineering level and into the depths of the station to find would you really think that nico had these friends that look like big gigantic turtles oh i love the concept of the, of the they were the really Chile cool Day. yeah they're awesome yeah yeah they what, were what did you cool. what did you think steven I, I really liked it. I thought it worked. Uh, it, it it's it's the kind of friends Nico would have. He he he's so yeah. he's. I mean, I feel like he makes friends with everyone. Um, but it's this group of people that you know no one knows about. Uh, really, they they mostly stay in the on the in, on the engineering level of the, the Colossus, uh, mm-hmm. working, and um the the Chiladay are like these, uh slow turtle like creatures with a hard shell carapace and they they basically serve as the engineers and custodians of the of mm-hmm. the platform and because they need to know when things are going to break they have eyes and ears everywhere and so they also have excellent sources of information um which is very funny how you have a very slow moving creature on a station as big as it is with eyes and ears that know when something's break something's going to break they can get there as quick as they do because a couple times it's pretty funny where Kaz turns around there's one like standing right there it's like they appear out of nowhere right yeah yeah they're very very quiet mm-hmm. um but kind of all-knowing and they kind of make fun of fun of them in some ways because they're so slow yeah. even to talk later when they're reporting in you know, they remind like, me a lot of the sloths from uh, Zootopia. Yes, that is exactly that it. <laughs> I, I couldn't place that it. That's it. Too. Yeah, they they are exactly that. Actually, mm-hmm. they talk slightly faster than sloths, but yeah. Um, did they? Well, well, he got through children in two words instead of like one. Children. One within five seconds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There you go. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, one thing I one thing I also enjoyed about their design, they always had the stuff on their back, mm-hmm. and yeah. you got the feeling because the stuff was there, it's whatever situation they're in. If something was breaking down, you had the feeling whatever was in that pack was going to fix where they were going to or what needed to be done. Yeah. Did let me let me ask you guys though. Did you Go find ahead. them a little too normal? Like how, so? Were, how so? They were just turtles. Oh, oh, sorry. Too real world worldly. Yeah, well, uh, or or too much of one. Th- and sorry, this is actually something that bothered me about uh, other parts of the episode as well. Okay. Uh, the Ugnot kept squealing like a pig. Um, yeah. There was one other that I'm. There was one other alien that was also doing like the same thing, where it was making the a goatle. very. The goatle. Yes, thank you. Goatle. The, the goatle thank was making goat sounds. Yeah. And then the turtles were literally turtles. I. It, uh, I don't know if it was the combination of all of them at once, but it felt like a little. A little more than I would have normally liked. Yeah. What did you guys? Uh, well, you may go first. I mean, Star Wars always occasionally there there are have been many times where Star Wars has I think veered too much into the real world creature side of things. Um, I thought these were different, just barely different enough that um, I could see them as being. You know, I I didn't just think turtle when I saw them. Um, mm-hmm. like they had, they had the hard shell on the back, but the, their, the rest of their body was slightly different. I don't know. Um, 
it, it didn't it didn't bother me too much but star wars does have a tendency to do that at times where it's a little too real world i mean we mm-hmm. even had that when in clone wars where you had like the you know the the cat people or um you know the uh, that's true you know, the, this is a recurring theme i guess yeah it it seemed for me again looking at the audience that you're at it didn't bother me as much i mean we've seen we've seen Godless before within the yeah. star wars universe correct sure so it's it's not a character that that hasn't been there and if i remember correct melch when they do fly yep. he did kind of oh, do a he did. as well he does he, he did you're right yeah. okay yeah. so maybe it's not it's not yeah. new to resist at least i think but but i think i think what probably what what may have been the thing for this one is all three of them kind of happened almost in succession mm-hmm. that yeah. it magnified it a little bit sound a little more like a to scene. where <laughs> yeah to where if you if you didn't have the gold talking if you didn't have uh, the the Ugnut at that one point, and then the turtles, maybe it wouldn't have been so magnified. But I had no problem with it because I I enjoyed the design, the look, the feel, and and watching those characters and how they were used, and and be interesting to see if going forward, since they know everything, if this is a setup for Kaz to use them as the Bothans for information. Well, that could be cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They they really were kind of like a a, a spy network in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> almost like. Wait a minute. Kaz just needs to go talk to these guys and say, "Hey, can you give me any information about the first order?" And he'll be done. His job's over. Yeah, his job will be over. He can go retire. Go work at the mechanic shop. Wait for the chili day to let him know if they see something. <laughs> I mean, they even have the com link from uh, from Niku now. They do. It's true. Uh, Reach him at any time. Yeah. Uh, very slowly, but they can reach him anytime. Um, oh, but Nico's going to have to translate because if I remember correct, Nico does understand them. I think Kaz that's did true. everything wrong. That's that's true. They don't. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and I also thought it was interesting that how they they could basically appear dormant by uh, kind of going to sleep, lying upside down, and almost mm-hmm. looking dead. Mm-hmm. Um, which that that's what i find interesting that a real turtle in the real world can't do is be on its back yet these guys can right so that was that was a big difference for me but yeah, I, and they're, I and they're also difference. like climbing on the walls at times it was yeah uh, yeah yeah it was pretty cool yeah yeah uh, I, I i liked it quite a lot um they're they're a cool little group and i just i i like being able to get um a glimpse at different parts of the facility of, of the station, mm. you know, this, this engineering level that we've never been to before. Uh, it's just fascinating getting, getting more of an idea of how, how everything works. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I liked. Um, I don't know how I feel about the trap door that opens directly into the water though. Yeah. But again, it, it, it sets up engineering level. nicely. People are not later. supposed to be down there. Yeah, yeah, and it it sets up for the plot point later. And really, if they need to get underneath the station, and for how big these mm-hmm. creatures are, maybe they need that trapdoor to get underneath the station. You never know. Yeah, but right. it was a really good, really good call out to a plot point. Although I found it very funny how he was lifting from the wrong end. Yeah, exactly. He tries yeah. to. He's struggling to to lift the the plot the the grate open, and then realizes, oh, I'm grabbing the side with the hinge. Yeah, the wrong oh, end. Of course, it doesn't work. Um, but one thing that surprised me actually in this episode is Captain Doza actually confronts Kaz in this episode. 
Yeah. Uh, this is much sooner than I was expecting even. Thoughts? He's feeling him out, trying to get a bearing on who this kid is. That's basically it. Or to get a feel to where if the kid's lying or not. You know, almost put it put it this way. It's kind of a point to where Captain Doze is kind of becoming a detective and he's going to try and solve this mystery. So he's got to bring in the suspect, feel him out. That's what I got from it. Yeah, he he knows something's going on and yeah. he's now trying to get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, Kaz tries to. Uh, he he makes Doza implies that Kaz might be a bounty hunter. Right? You know, he's like, "Oh, I know you're. You tried to race against my daughter, and you you're you're this mechanic, and now you you've been spotted near these kids." And Kaz instantly is like, "Well, no, no, no. I I'm not a, a bounty hunter. I just took this symbol from them." But it's not a really good explanation for why he's not a bounty hunter. Uh, I just try to play one on TV. That's it. <laughs> I'm not a bounty hunter. I was just tracking these kids to for the money. Yeah, that's it. Totally. (laughs) Good Samaritan. That's what I'm trying to be. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, as we were talking about earlier, that's when Doza kind of drills it in to to Kaz. Wait, would someone really be putting out a bounty that large if, you know, there wasn't something bigger going on in the background? And as soon as Kaz leaves, uh, not surprisingly, Doza places a call to Phasma and basically tries to buy some goodwill with her by uh, by reporting the location of the of the children, and that's See, when this, we find out that they are. And sorry, and this is the interesting part. It's mm-hmm. like, is he playing? Is he playing? You know, center field between you know the the First Order and the Republic. Is he the one that's I, trying to be in the middle? If he is, he trying to appease the First Order. To just, you know, leave us alone, give us what we need, and leave us alone. My my take on it is he's playing he's playing the middle. He knows yeah. he doesn't know which way it's going to go. The first order could become the thing, you know, be you know much bigger. It could be the empire, or sorry, the the empire. It could be the rebe- uh, wow, I cannot talk the resistance or the new republic. <laughs> one of those keeps his options. One of those organizations. Yeah. One yes, of those. One somebody. of those things. You know. Yeah. Somebody. Which also puts it in perspective that maybe he is concerned about the uh, people on his facility. That's why he's trying to stay neutral the whole thing. He doesn't yeah. want a war to break out. Exactly. I, no, I think he is trying to kind of play all sides and be as neutral yeah. as possible. But if he can report the location of the the kids, he will. Also, I think that means he got the 20,000 credits. I don't think it was ever said who uh, got the credits. Well, I mean, no, we, we the we first order placed the bounty the and he reported the kids. So I thought the bounty was for recovering them, not finding them. True. I think it was recovery. Yeah. You might be yeah, right. So he, didn't do, he didn't do anything then. Yeah. All he did was say they're here. But it was fascinating when when the kids actually did run into Kaz and Kaz was able to get him to safety to start hearing the backstory about, you know, we learn more about these kids at that point. More than Phasma revealed. Which, that's for sure. Well, the Phasma reveal number one, but they name dropped a character from the uh, from from uh, Last Jedi, not Last Jedi. What am I thinking? Uh, Force Awakens. There you go. Thank you. I jumped the movie ahead, but they name dropped Kylo Ren for destroying their yeah. planet. Not the pl- he didn't destroy well, the destroying their he, people. He, he destroyed, destroyed their people. people. Sure. Yeah, they were the the last two survivors of the of their people. Yeah, I mean the the. You're right. I and so just to just to connect viewers, maybe might have um, 
you know, might've forgotten what happens. The Chile find them pretty quickly uh, and call Niku and they, they go and they, they talk to these children who are, are um, uh, Isla or Iyala, Iyala uh, or Iyala, Iyala, Iyala and Kel. Um, yes. Yeah. It's uh, interestingly spelled. Close enough. Um, Iyala and Kel. And yeah, they, they ran away from Tahar because Kylo Ren murdered everyone in their village. And they were the only survivors. Does that really sound like Kylo Ren, though? Don't answer that question. <laughs> exactly well. sounds like Kylo Ren. Um, why Why do you think the First Order is after them, though? Are they trying to I make think, sure there's no have witnesses? Have we heard of this planet before? No. Tahar is no. new. But also, isn't it? Wasn't it mentioned from the planet? I think even uh, Kaz never heard of this this planet. He mentions it sounded familiar. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I could never think of. I couldn't come up with where it would have sounded familiar from. Yeah, we. The, well, maybe Tahar has not been seen in any previous book or um, comic or anything, uh, uh, legends or otherwise. Well, um, maybe it's something to where it is so far in the unknown regions. Yes. Or close enough to the border of the unknown regions and known space that maybe through, you know, Kaz's flight with the new Republic that the name could have been dropped for something. But I mean, we can only speculate right now. Hopefully that's another one of those points in which at some point they will circle back to that and give an explanation. I would expect so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's not clear what, is going on on this planet. I mean, um, Phasma claims that they're just runaway children of a high ranking member of the first order. Nah. Um, sure. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but no, they were, Phasma. they were the last survivors of this, of this village. And, um, what I'm not sure is were they, ki- were they trying to kill them just to make sure there's no witnesses or I were they that. actually killing them because, um, or, or sorry, just just to like just to kill him in general, or was there something bigger going on in Tahar? Was it just like a slaughter, pointless slaughter on Tahar, or is the First Order doing something there? I the, suspect I think there's something there. No, yeah. I think there's something there. I, I think I think these are the last two that could probably expose something the First Order doesn't want to have known. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. why they're on uh-huh. the run. And I think this is the beginning yeah. of something much bigger. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't 100%. know what. But I think something bigger is going to happen. We're going to see a lot more of Tahar in this series. Do you think we'll actually go to the planet at some point? Maybe I wouldn't be. I don't know. Maybe uh, like then again, then again, that gets to the point to where I, I mentioned before, then the racing at some point is going to have to take a backseat to all this because again, it's like now the story is starting to move more toward telling a star Wars story instead of about racing now you're starting to hear uh, more about uh, the galaxy. I, but but now there's a point to where you have you have a stepping point to get off planet and go somewhere instead of just race on a planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think slowly this the series will move away from the Colossus. Yeah, um, they because they focus all- very heavily on it while they were introducing the characters. Although there's so many characters they've introduced mm-hmm. that we've hardly even touched on yet that. I don't know how they'll if, if I don't know on well, on the one hand I don't know if they'll move away from the Colossus because there's a lot of characters that they've spent time to create and add to the show they've just barely scratched the surface of um, but mm-hmm. maybe they'll be able to include them in different ways and the Colossus will still be the home base of sorts and there'll be a Colossus subplot on every episode but 
increasingly there will be more things going on elsewhere in the galaxy. Okay, so here's a question when it comes to the Colossus itself. Have we, do we know if that's just an actual, let's say, in real world terms, this huge oil derrick that's sitting in the middle of a planet, or did they actually take some kind of starship and basically plan it in that spot, and that's the only part we see above the ocean? And at some point, that could end up being, you know, a starship again. Has they ever explained anything like that? I don't know if they have. Mm-hmm. I get the sense it's more like an oil derrick. That that that's my feeling too. But it, it's a thing to where if there's if there's so many see I I am now thinking back to when you look at the the first part when we saw Rebels. It really was based on Lethal. Then they left Lethal. Then they came back to Lethal. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to try and do the same thing here to where they're going to start here, start setting up the 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 the, the storyline going forward, and maybe Tahar is going to be the first planet they're going to start jumping off to. And then just off and off and off, and at some point come back to this. So, possibility, yeah, or yeah, something happens to the planet to where that, you know, the Colossus ends up being maybe a spaceship, and they have to take off from it, mm-hmm. and it ends up doing battle with the First Order. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I I do I do think you're right. Though. I think we're gonna see more. Less spend less and less time exclusively on the Colossus. Um, for sure. But for now, yeah, everyone's sure. coming to them, uh, including the First Order. You know, the, the Phasma sends the First Order, uh, led by Commander Pyre, to pick Which is up cool. the the guys. And yeah, Commander Pyre is a really cool gold-plated stormtrooper mm-hmm. uh, to Phasma's silver. Um, and so now we've got red, gold, and, and silver stormtroopers. Okay, um, but the interesting thing on this respect... Do you think, and, and and for those who have not read the Phasma book, do you think at some point we could see Cardinal introduced in this? Because he's got red armor. We have a red uh, TIE fighter pilot. Man, love but to. when it comes to the Stormtrooper, could we see Cardinal in this? I would love to. I would love to as well. But we'll see. I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually. But maybe not yet. Uh, although with 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 with, with uh, Captain Von Reg, though, I'm not so sure because I already have a red storm. Yeah, you already got a red one. And they, they tend not to not to like to use names that are too similar or characters that look too similar just to, not con- to, to avoid confusing viewers. Yeah, good point. So, so I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, Iela is... She, she has a broken leg uh, or broken arm. Uh, and so they, they can't take her to a medical vendor uh, even though she needs a biocast, and so instead they just decide to get her some herbs. I don't really know how the herbs are going to help heal her broken bone that fast, but um, maybe yeah, some I magic didn't herbs. Quite catch that one, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> that that's something you can kind of gloss over a little bit. Maybe it was just something to take away the pain and the fever, because supposedly she had a fever too. So, but e- yeah, either know. way, you know, it's an opportunity to show Niku's heart because he, again, is being very generous and and pays for the herbs for for. Um, uh, for Kel, because obviously, you know, Kel and um, Kaz cannot afford it. Um, but that's when Commander Pyre appears on the platform and starts chasing them. And uh, they they race all the way back down to the engineering level. And we get to this is now the third time we, we've we've seen the engineering level in this episode. And I just mm-hmm. love the the art style of it, too. You know, again, we're talking about the, you know, the pristine tower from the last episode. And now the engineering level is like the exact, you know, the polar opposite. Um, yeah. 
uh, yeah. down way below. And um, you know, they, they make it just inside to great comedic effect as the you know sloth like Chila Day are trying to close the door as the first Slow. order arrives. <laughs> um, and uh, and that's when they have a actually a really cool plan to escape. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Stephen? I I was surprised by it. How I so? like how they shot it too. Like it it was shot very well. Um, you know, we we'd seen that trap door. I expected it. I didn't realize there's that kind of extra under level. Um, and you know, Tom, as you always say, you know, if you call attention to something, you have to use it. Mm-hmm. And so, using the t- uh, the turtle's ability to like uh, you know put their life, you know, whatever, go into hibernation uh, as the final method of tricking them, I thought worked surprisingly well. Yeah, and I didn't see it coming. Like I, I should have seen it coming because they they showed the great. They showed um, they they showed how the 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 chila day can can slow their their life signs by the way I, I noticed they they stopped calling them the chila day after the first instance and they just called them the um the the, the shell folk um but which is still cool which Works. is also valid but anyway yeah we, we saw this but i didn't put two and two together and realize that oh wait they probably jumped in the water and then mm-hmm. you know made themselves appear to be dead and so we all you see is you know everyone else is gone. Uh, by the time the the first order arrives, except for the two children, they hop down, hop through the grate, and they were able to be they were basically caught and pulled underneath the platform. We don't see that, so instead mm-hmm. we just see plunk something fall in the water, big waves at the bottom, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet down, and the first order runs some scans and there's no life signs, um, and so they think they won. I and feel bad for the uh, the gold stormtrooper because he is going to get it. Yeah, really now, he oh, yeah. is. He, is he really going to get it when he when he tells Phasma that basically their mission was a, in so many words their mission was a success. Sure, he was supposed to bring the kids home, but really, what was going to be the ultimate fate of those two kids? Oh no, they're gonna, no. I think Stephen, what you're saying is that um, he, when when it's when it's oh, revealed that sorry. they're alive. Phasma will be furious. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I take them that dying. Back. That's that's fine. I'm, I'm the, sorry. Yeah, no, the dying is expected. <laughs> I think I think I I think I pulled a uh, Nico and took you, took you a little too seriously in that respect, <laughs> and not the the uh, way that you meant it. I am sorry. The the thing I liked about the, this plan, though, um, is that and, and the the solution to this problem is that it's a great way to deal with the villain issue that most television shows run into. You know, and and that's that. If you have this villain, you you want to have a villain in the series, right? But if you have mm-hmm. this villain that keeps losing all the time, it um it, it decreases the threat of the villain, and all of a sudden people don't take it seriously anymore. They're like, oh yeah, that's you know General Grievous, but he's lost every single battle he's ever been in. So why do I care? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Of course they're not going to win. And to solve it, the Clone Wars, uh, you know, every show tries to do it differently. In the Clone Wars, um, they worked really hard to have a variety of villains. It wasn't just Grievous. They had Grievous and Dooku and Ventress. And they had countless smaller villains that they could always bring in such that um, they these other guys could be losing or occasionally win mm-hmm. and um, and uh, uh, not make it feel like they're the, the, the good guys always win and the bad guys always lose. Because as a viewer, we want the good guys to win. But if the good guys always win, 
it removes a lot of that tension. Um, yep. And so this it's a delicate balance. And and what's cool about this plan was they made the first order feel like they won. And so they they returned home feeling like they they had they had been victorious. So they 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 voluntarily effectively gave up and returned home. Um and while in in reality they actually lost. And and so it's kind of this nice mm-hmm. balance where they didn't walk home with their head between their tail, you know, their their tail between their legs. They they walked home thinking they were victorious, but they weren't. And they had no idea. And so it's it's a neat way to solve that villain problem and not mm-hmm. uh you know hurt their threat. Yeah. And what I'm liking about this episode or so far is it's kind of giving more meat and a backstory to Phasma instead of what we have seen so far on the screen. And hopefully they can continue to carry that through this series to where you actually see Phasma be more of a threat than just another, I'm not going to say bumbling, bungling, you know, commander of a stormtrooper battalion, but at least give the character a better backstory than what we saw in the movies. That's what I'm liking so far. Little bits and just keep it that way going forward to make her feel more of a threat. Right. Yeah. Right. I do hope we see a bit more of Phasma in person as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because right now she and Poe have been very much behind the scenes. Um, But in this episode, we actually get an explanation for some of that, which is also cool because Kaz calls Poe Dameron to report this whole first order revelation. And, uh, we find out that Poe is away on a mission and Allo Asti, played by Matthew Wood, uh, is there. And he's the um, uh, Abedeno uh, uh, pilot from uh, from The Force Awakens, um, uh, that who I think, I believe he dies. Mm-hmm. Almost positive he dies. Um, he does. Yeah, I was he very does. sad when he did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but we get to see him in the show, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his we spirit him, I is think still alive in, in animation. He was in the first episode, I believe. You see him on in the background on the ship. Oh, he was in the background. I missed. I forgot about that. Yeah, but he didn't talk. I don't think he didn't talk. And I no- right. I noticed this because I really liked that character, and then in the Force Awakens, and then got very sad when he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, but Elo is very very interested in what happened on Tahar. Uh, and he's the one who says, yeah, he, he's never heard of it, but probably it's probably in the Hendon regions. But when mm-hmm. he, as soon as he hears mention of Kylo Ren's name, he, his ears perk up and he, uh, he decides that General Leia Organa needs to know this. Absolutely. Now, now here's a good question for you guys. I'm going to throw out there. What mission do you think Poe Dameron was on when, uh, when cows called? You just want to, you, 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 I- you there is Go a ahead. comic series that's set before The Force Awakens, right? Yes, the Poe Dameron comic series. So I'm assuming it has... Going to tie into that? Missions. Mm-hmm. I mean, the show starts six months before Force Awakens. We've already been on the Colossus, what, two weeks, three weeks? Something like that, Something probably. like that, maybe a month. Close. Um, I, I tried to find when the first ep- issue of the Poe Dameron comic was set, and I, I couldn't find any hard dates aside from um, 33... Uh, 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 ABY, um, mm-hmm. which is when this show is set as well, so it doesn't really help. Um, mm-hmm. But 
but you know, in, in the first issue of the Poe Dameron comic series, uh, Black Squadron Part One, mm-hmm. um, Poe Dameron is set to Ovanus in search of Laura Santeca, and he starts looking for for Laura, and he he continues looking for the Laura Santeca throughout a lot of the 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 comic because you know, as, as we know, in the beginning of Last Jedi of the Force Awakens, um, he he finally does find Laura Santeca, uh, and so I suspect that's where he's now doing. Um, although, shoot, now I forget. I think BB-8 is in that comic, so maybe he's still on a different mm. mission. Um, it's true because BB-8's with with Kaz. Uh, but either okay, way, so that, a- that's it's got to be coming up soon because there's you know be. what right. four uh, four. Um, I think it's probably what twenty four issues so far of that comic series, um, mm. at least. So. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question I'm going to throw out. Uh, when it comes to BB-8, do you think at this point, for the amount of episodes we have, he was really necessary for the series to be in it? He exists for a different reason, I think. He exists like, to draw on the kids as a cuteness factor. He, okay. Well, I was gonna say, and, he, and he existed to help bridge the gap and kind of provide a familiar face in a series without mm-hmm. having to pay for, you know, Poe Dameron or another good point. major actor. He is, he is no, free to point. voice. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point in that because really all we've seen him do is let's see, he rescued Kaz from when the speeder bike blew up. No, I'm sorry, the the racer blew up. Um rolls around an awful lot. Has he yeah. hacked in anything yet? But so far his role has been could be replaced by any other character. Yeah. You did not need BB eight for any of it. So I, I think you are one hundred percent on uh, uh, right, Stephen. It's, it's, it's to make it's so that you have a familiar face. So there is the bridge, yeah. yeah. Which, which now bringing it from that point of view, then, then I can see it. But I, I think at some point we've even discussed he probably will have to leave if it's going to be getting closer to uh, the Force Awakens because he's going to ass- go back to Poe. I assume he will. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Bucket will be the next one that's going to end up um, being the sidekick to Kaz. Yeah, we haven't really seen much of Bucket yet. No. He got knocked over that one time, but... uh... Yeah, before the series debuted, I thought he was going to be a much bigger... I thought he was going to be more of like a chopper-like presence. Yeah. Yeah, I I have to be honest, though. I'm kind of glad he hasn't been as big. Um, Thus far, my feeling has been that all of the droids in Star Wars have the same kind of personality, and so I've been... I'm glad that he he hasn't done that, really. Fair enough. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. No, makes sense. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, Stephen, what are your final thoughts on this episode? So I think I'm going to get this episode as well. A seven out of 10. Again, I was was pleasantly surprised. Like, I feel like there's an actual story that's kind of moving forward. Um, We're starting to get into some interesting questions that I were not getting answers to yet, which kind of encourages me to keep watching. Um, and I thought, like, they've, re- I feel like now that the First Order is really part of it, they've really nailed a kind of core progression that this, this was really missing. Um, so overall, I've been, I've been very happy with it. Seven out of 10 Womp Rats. Um, and you know what? I'm just going to throw my seven out of 10 Womp Rats into the water. It wasn't actually the turtles that were down there, it was just the, the Womp Rats. And, you know, you group up enough <sighs> of them together, and uh, it looks like a life signal. So you until took they eventually mine. die, you're welcome, Tom. 
Oh. Well, yeah, but uh, that's how this you trick the stormtroopers and or first order stormtroopers into thinking that you know the kids are dead. Okay. Except it's the womp rats that are dead, and you know who cares about some dead womp rats? Fair enough. How many have we uh, killed, and we haven't heard anything yet? So no, we've heard nothing. We've been doing this for how many years? How many have we done for over the years? Yeah, just a yeah. few. Yeah, a few dozen plus twenty thousand. Exactly. Um, let's see. If, uh, so I I I thought this was a a fun episode. Well, I actually liked this one. I think I even liked this one better than the last week, and I and I really liked last week too. Um, yeah. This was a, uh, I, I love seeing the, the underworld, uh, you know, of, of the, of the station and, um, and how they start introducing the first order and the, the kids who I just thought were going to be random kids actually are tied into some major first order stuff happening. And so, uh, overall I thought it was really neat. Um, and, and I thought the, the acting was, you know, um, pretty good pretty good as well it was like the characters were not as over the top uh, mm-hmm. in this one and so i'm gonna give this one an eight and a half womp rats out of ten and uh you know if you look carefully in, in the market um there there's like this tank uh with filled with gorgs swimming and my eight and a half womp rats are gonna swim in the tank with the gorgs uh who are oh, by nice. the way if you remember oh, the, the, the womp nice. rats of the sea uh, uh womp rats typically are, don't. but don't they have sharp teeth they do that's why it's eight and a half Gotcha. Okay. Got it. That uh, good to know. <laughs> Tom. Wow. Okay. Well, I enjoyed this episode. As I've said, I think this is starting to move everything forward. Uh, and I think it's moving things forward at a faster pace than kind of expected, which is pretty cool. Uh, I am giving this one a 7.5, uh, rat rating scale. Um, I, I liked how they literally, have tied this into something really major within the uh, First Order and Kylo Ren. And that's what really got the show for me. Um, I am going to take my 7.5 Womp Rats and sadly, uh, William, you took the idea about the Gorks. Steven, you took the idea about them being thrown off the ledge. So, Gotta get up pretty my early, seven, what are you going to do? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, what <laughs> am I going to do? Because I, I just... Um, Oh, my 7.5 Womp Rats, instead of the the herb that was given to the, the young lady to kind of cure her ills, it was actually the 7.5 Womp Rats actually wrapped themselves around her leg because they have magical healing powers, and they're the ones that kind of fixed her leg. Oh, that's, that's very nice. Yeah, I'll be nice with them this time because really the, the cruel part of throwing them over the ledge and having them, you know, die of being frozen, just you took that one. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> someone <laughs> had to nice do it. Yeah, I'll I'll be nice with my seven point five yeah. womp rats. Well, Stephen, you want to tell us what we we'll be reviewing next week on Ion Cannon? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So coming up next week, we have season one, episode seven of the Resistance, titled "Signal from Sector 6. and the synopsis is: When out on a routine training exercise, a distress signal sends Kaz and Poe. To a damaged ship with strange life forms aboard. Mm. Interesting. interesting. That and just remember, the last time we saw strange life forms, they were space whales. So who thinks? Who knows what we'll get this time? Vaughn. Just kidding. Yeah. I mean that that seems that th- there's a lot of interesting stuff in that ep- in that description. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we're gonna get off the Colossus. He's gonna be doing an mm-hmm. actual training mission, flying with Poe. So Poe's back, 
that I'm excited uh, And then, for. of course, mm-hmm. the strange life forms and a mysterious signal. All of that sounds amazing. I'm excited. Yeah. Look, looking forward to this one. Yes. So with that, uh, thank you for listening as always. And we will be back next week with our review of Signal from Sector 6. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.